Welcome again, everyone here on this third Sunday of Advent here at Lord of Grace. Uh, we are continuing with our series for the season called How Does a Weary World Rejoice? You know, we all want to rejoice in the season, but we want to do so honestly, recognizing that life is full of its own struggles. We need to acknowledge it if we're honest in our rejoicing. Today we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive look at uh, Zechariah, the story of Zechariah the priest, and getting his speech back. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Zechariah, who was a priest, he came into the temple, and the angel appeared and told him he would have a son, him and his wife would have a son, and he hesitated and wasn't quite sure, and the angel said, well, because you, because you doubted, you won't get to talk until this boy is born. And so then Zechariah lost his speech for however long that was. And today, he gets his voice back. And, to, and so we have a painting to go with it, as we do each week. This week's painting is called What Wonder Turns Into by Lisa Gwynne Garrity. I hope you have your little insert. I gave you all an insert so that you can see the painting, you, you, the artist's statement, what she was thinking behind it is in there. It's a guide you can take home and meditate on a little more if you would like. Uh, but this painting is it's drawn from the moment, right at that moment when Zechariah gets his voice back and there's a crowd around them and they're all amazed. Well, technically, they're amazed when he writes down the same name of the son that Elizabeth does. Uh, more than one commentator has pointed out, notice how the crowd didn't believe Elizabeth until, John, uh, until Zechariah agreed with her. Yeah, I can see that, but let's, run with the, let's keep running with it. But he wrote it down, and the people were amazed. And then he got his speech. And so there's, God does this amazing thing here, right? In the midst of all the people, it says the people were amazed. You know, I try to sit, and I wonder what would happen if this happened today, right? You had a guy who couldn't speak for a while, and he's writing down, and he says, an angel took my voice away. What would we think when he finally started talking again? I think a lot of us would be like, yeah, it's a parlor trick, you know? Or maybe uh, he could speak all along. He was just choosing not to. He's playing a game with us. It's all a, it's all a long con. Right? He's trying to manipulate us into, in, into thinking that there's an angel talking to him. Or we'd hide behind what I call the certainty of uncertainty. Right? That cynical attitude that, that doesn't know that he's conning, but is very certain that we should be uncertain of everything he says. Grr. Right? The only thing I'm certain of is that, is that nobody can be trusted. It's why Jesus says that you know, when people ask him, why don't we get more signs and wonders? He gives signs and wonders to people who believe. And he says, people won't believe if I give them signs and wonders. If they already don't have faith, it's not going to make a difference. Because if somebody's really determined to believe that every sign and wonder they see or every amazing thing is really, you know, really has some explanation behind it, you know, I could sit in front of Richard Dawkins and make that table levitate, and he'd be like, I'm sure certainly somewhere there's a rational explanation for it. We just haven't found it yet. Grr. I don't think he'd say grr. I think he's, he, he'd, he'd use some froofy word to say it. But that's the trick with signs and wonders, right? 
If you're convinced that it's a trick, no matter how many things you do, it won't sell anyone. And nothing in our day and age makes us more proud than being the one person in the room who doesn't fall for what everybody else is falling for. To be the one person who doesn't buy into it and isn't amazed like all those people who so easily fall for it. And we can go on the internet and find all the other people like us who clearly are smarter than all the other people who aren't like us. And you don't necessarily have evidence to prove that they're wrong. You're just kind of closing yourself off. I mean, I would say, do you have evidence to doubt? Or are you just, you just like the feeling that you're smarter than everybody else? Are you closed off because you don't want to get excited? You don't want to let yourself get excited and then get let down? Or are you worried that you'll get excited and then someone else will go, ha ha? I try to think of what an unfun life that must be. That must just be a miserable way to live, right? Daddy, look at the pretty flower. That's just an organism trying to use color to, to incentivize pollinators to spread pollen for reproduction. It's just an evolutionary trick. Grr. <laughs> or you sit down at brunch. Hey, girlfriend, I found this guy. He's so wonderful. It's great. I am totally in love. You're just suffering from a te temporary chemical imbalance designed to increase your propensity towards reproduction of the species. Grr. And be like, that's the last time I invite you to second breakfast. Or someone comes up and says, last night, last night I was in prayer. And I was in prayer, and I sat there in that moment, and I, and I, I, I handed myself over to God and said, God, God, speak to me. I cannot get through this. And the Holy Spirit was right there. The Holy Spirit came and touched my heart in that moment. It's just a neurological response to the minimization of stress hormones in your mind. It doesn't mean anything. You're just unwilling to accept the meaninglessness of an empty world. Grr. Yeah, you can buzzkill just about anything if you really want to. If you want life to be utterly unamazing, you can make it unamazing. If you want to go through life and put those lenses on and view the whole world as just one big game of people trying to con you or meaninglessness creeping in on you, if that's what you want to do, you know, fine. You will have a miserable life. And you will have no ability to really embrace things of meaning and truth and beauty and love and faith and wonder. You get one life on this earth and you're going to suck all the joy out of it? Now, this isn't about being ignorant so that you can be amazed. There are some people who kind of think that. You know, only the ignorant are amazed, you know. No. I mean, I understand that that waterfall is just H2O, you know, being pulled by gravity over limestone. I get it. When I see a rainbow, I know that's just refracted photons, but it's still amazing to see. 
I, you know, it's about a disposition, a state of mind, a way of living in a state of wonder in a world. It isn't, and it isn't science and knowledge that kills it. It isn't learning more that makes you less amazed. It's cynicism. It's that belief that everything somewhere must have a darker motive. I mean, think about somebody like Albert Einstein, somebody who nobody would ever accuse of being a bad scientist. In all his life, he never gave up on the idea of God. Admittedly, by the end, his vision of God got really abstract. But even after relativity and all his other theories, he, he never became an atheist and denounced God, per se. This was the same guy who sat there and said, imagination is more important than knowledge. You know, I remember that. I think of Einstein every time I think of, like, creating a school curriculum. You know, when people come to our preschool and say, what do you teach? I don't know. Letters, numbers, be nice, have fun. That's it? Well, that's because that's all you really need. You want imagination and wonder and play and joy. That'll set you up better than drilling. You need imagination to think of things and be open to things. And this happened to Einstein himself, or even though he was the one teaching we should have imagination and wonder, he would get to a conference. He started getting into his, um, backtracks, like, he started getting into his theories of subatomic particles. And he was the one who first started, you know, theorizing about what they might do and how they might behave. And there was, he went to this big conference, I think it was somewhere in Europe, and Niels Bohr was there, one of the other big physicists of the time. And they had done calculations, Bohr and his buddies had done calculations that said that there should, under certain circumstances, exist subatomic particles that behave identically even though they're far away. And they behave like one particle, but they're separated by space. And Einstein said, that can't be. That's spooky coincidences. I don't believe in spooky coincidences. Einstein thought it was too mystical, too magical. And Niels Bohr said, but dude, it's your theory. I don't think he said dude, but that was the gist of it. He said, it's your theory that predicted this. I ran your numbers on this. And until the day he died, Einstein just wrote it off. Spooky coincidences. Well, guess what? Einstein was right in spite of himself. They've actually tested it. You can put these two particles, and don't ask me which ones or how, how it works, but they've tested it. They put them like on opposite continents. And you know, you hit one with light, the other one vibrates the same way. I can't answer it, but it's real. Why, and, and he couldn't follow through on it because his own imagination, he couldn't t follow his own theories. Yeah, it was closed off at a certain point because it felt too magical. And it does feel kind of magical, but it's been proven. We've observed it. It was in his mind that that kind of thing couldn't happen. So let's get back to Zechariah and Elizabeth for a second. They are, I will admit, living in a world 2,000 years ago where people were more likely to attribute something they didn't understand to God. That is true. 
But it wasn't like they didn't live in a world where people tried to con them or give them propaganda. It wasn't like they lived in a world where everybody got along and nobody ever told a lie. I mean, they lived in the Roman Empire. Everything was propaganda and lies all the time. You know, people complain about our government. Man, you didn't have to deal with Rome. They have it a million times worse. You know, Zechariah and Elizabeth and their family and friends were not like some, living in some sort of sheltered 19th century world in an M. Night Shyamalan movie where they would be all shocked and surprised at the iron horses coming at me with suns on their eyes. They were used to being lied to, and yet they were still open to God speaking through Elizabeth and Zechariah. They heard him, saw him write, and they were amazed. They heard him speak, and they were amazed. Something beautiful happened in that moment, and they just felt the moment, and they went with it, and they let their joy out. They were people who understood weariness and stress, but instead of getting cynical, they embraced amazement. They knew cynicism as good as we do, but they were open to God. In that moment, something happened, and they let themselves be amazed by God. So how do we rejoice when we are weary? How do we find joy in God giving us gifts and surprises in the midst of everything? We do the opposite of what our instincts tell us to do. Instead of closing ourselves off to be more isolated and guarded, we open ourselves up to wonder and amazement. You can start just by sitting back and looking at the things that used to give you wonder before, but you've kind of lost. You look at the sunset. You listen to your kids. You soak in a piece of scripture and you let it speak to you. You think about the one you love and you realize how amazing it is she still loves you. I do that all the time. So do lots of people. And you get used to seeing God's hand at work. And you see things and you say, wow. You do that enough, and the rush of joy from the Holy Spirit will be far greater than your need to feel protected. You don't check your brain at the door to live a life of awe and wonder. You allow yourself to be in the moment and feel the moment and let God guide you to something new and amazing. It's a wonderful way to live, to be reminded that God is here still with us doing amazing things. And even when everything else in our world is so filled with cynicism and weariness and despair, to return to the God of wonder, who helps me be the antidote for that, so we can live lives of joy and awe and wonder. Amen.